This episode of GIST Healthcare Daily kicks off our series on the growing popularity of the platform business model in healthcare and what it might mean for the industry. Vince Caritis and Dr. Randy Williams, who advise healthcare companies on platform strategy, discuss the current state of the market. It's Monday, May 23rd, and I'm Alex Olgan with GIST Healthcare Daily, where you get the headlines in health business and policy news in under 10 minutes. If you like the podcast, please leave us a rating or a review. It helps other listeners find the show. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. This week, we're replaying our four-part series from February and March about the growing interest in investment in healthcare platforms. Here's the show. The platform economy has taken off over the last decade or so, with companies like Meta or Facebook, Airbnb, and Uber going public. One analysis by investment firm Sparkline Capital finds there are now more than 100 platform companies in the S&P 500. The platform revolution is starting to make its way into healthcare. Many startups are now calling themselves healthcare platforms. But what exactly is a healthcare platform? And why are many healthcare companies suddenly wanting to become one? And what kinds of healthcare organizations are best positioned to do it well? I'll be exploring these questions over the next four episodes. In today's episode, we hear from Vince Caritis, founder of healthcare consulting company Better Health Technologies, and Dr. Randy Williams, a physician and managing director of consulting firm Digital Care Advisors. In recent years, Vince and Randy have been working together to write a book about healthcare platforms and advise healthcare companies on platform strategy. Here's some of our conversation. Randy, first, let's just define a healthcare platform. In, a, in essence, it's an exchange or a, or a marketplace where uh, people are brought together to provide goods and services and consume those goods and services. The unique thing about platforms, as opposed to, let's say, a retail mall that has the same purpose, is really that platforms um, take advantage of something called network effects. And this is where users who interact with the platform are ever more increasingly extracting value the more users that participate. So over time, platforms become very, very efficient and very scalable. And uh, I would say healthcare platforms really tend to be a bit less focused on who owns um, or builds the products or services that are being uh, curated on a platform, Um, whereas uh, more important is to make the connections between those that do build and own those and those that actually need and want to use those. In healthcare, uh, many people have a fairly narrow view of platforms. They tend to think of platforms as technology. We have an EHR, we have a patient portal. 
that's not wrong, but, but it is limiting. Uh, we really bring the perspective of platform as business model and business strategy. Platform strategies are quite viable for incumbents as well. And it's not an either or. You don't have to toss out your existing strategy. And that we expect that there will be many hybrid platforms in healthcare over the next decade. Vince, why are platforms in healthcare hot right now? First, infrastructure is rapidly developing. Healthcare has been 20, 30 years behind digitization of data. That's finally happening. And structured data in the EHR and other places is really some of the low-hanging fruit. Uh, We see uh, incentives changing, value-based payments, Uh, Even though we see a lot of uh, health systems dragging their feet over the next decade, I think most people see it as probably inevitable. Uh, The rise of consumerism, COVID as a trend has accelerated the adoption of many digital technologies. And in healthcare, particularly around health, telehealth, the relaxation of many uh, reimbursement and regulatory policies that have facilitated the adoption of telehealth and virtual care platforms. While platform businesses are not new in other industries, what phase of innovation would you say the healthcare industry is in adopting platforms? Randy? My sense would be that platform efforts in healthcare are still in their early days, but some of these progressions are happening pretty quickly. A lot of organizations, even on the provider side, that in generally we would think of as thought leader or innovator class organizations, say Mayo Clinic or Cleveland Clinic or Providence Health, um, those are those are organizations that are already experimenting and innovating around platforms. They're investing in platform businesses and even spinning them out from within their own uh, organizations. And then if we look over on the payer side, I think there's a lot that's going on there, even structuring new health plan offerings, uh, things like virtual first health plan products, where they're trying to leverage the power of platform first uh, care models. Healthcare is very fragmented, and it's going to take a decade for all this to, to play out. There's a slew of innovation going on in healthcare, uh, and we're seeing specialized companies uh, many of which reach out directly to consumers. HIMS uh, in men's care, all kinds of primary care models, HERS uh, in women's cares. What we expect is, and we're already seeing, is consolidation, that some of the larger platforms will simply acquire uh, many of these companies that are providing specialized services. Vince, what kinds of healthcare companies do you think are best positioned to pursue platform strategies or business models? I think the predominant group of organizations referring to themselves as platforms are virtual care or telehealth companies. It's important to recognize there are some unique strengths that delivery systems have. One is that we're noticing the emergence provider-based collaborative platforms. Truveta has brought together, I believe, around 20 different health systems, and they've all combined their data for uh, research and, I believe, selling the data. Uh, Graphite Health is working with delivery systems and developers to create preferred apps. So the scenario that we envision a couple years from now is uh, if you're a patient, diabetic patient, you'll probably be offered 
two, three, maybe even only one diabetic health app by your healthcare provider, but it will greatly standardize the marketplace. You described multiple health platform companies that seem to fold into each other or work together. In some other industries like social media, there are a few dominant platforms that hold much of the market. So how do you envision that playing out in both a highly specialized and fragmented industry like healthcare? In other industries, you see mega platforms. Facebook largely dominates social. Uh, Amazon's very dominant in uh, online commerce. Uh, Google and search, uh, healthcare is too fragmented. And eventually we may see mega platforms, but today the metaphor I would use is uh, think of platforms as nesting Russian dolls. An example, uh, a tele, uh, a remote monitoring company will bring together a bunch of peripherals, uh, blood pressure devices, scales, and they will create a platform that remote monitoring platform in turn can nest into a telehealth platform, which may nest into a broader uh, delivery system. Using that Russian nesting doll analogy, if I'm connecting through all these platforms, whose patient would I be? Well, it's, it's hard to tell. And, and the, it's not a linear process of nesting. I think what you're describing for the patient is a lot of confusion. From the patient's standpoint, you've got 350,000 health apps to choose from, and now thousands of digital health companies trying to get your attention. So the phenomenon I'm observing is that in the short term, that it's probably more confusing for patients right now as uh, until some of this becomes a little bit more standardized. And it's probably going to take five, 10 years for that to shake out. In other industries, platforms tend to be asset light businesses, but traditional healthcare delivery systems are the opposite. They have lots of buildings and equipment. Randy, to be a comprehensive healthcare platform, do you need to own the physical care sites, or do you think hospitals or physicians could be relegated to like a care supplier role? You know, th- this battle's, I think, being really fueled by unmet consumer demand, right? And at the end of the day, patients and consumers in general want convenience and they want access and they want affordability. And quite frankly, that's just more easily addressed by, you know, digital or virtual interactions in many, many, many cases where now the consumers are freed from the constraints of the gatekeepers. So that said, I think there are categories that lend themselves to this, which are typically less complex, often more repeatable care processes or care interactions. And I think those are the ones that are being disrupted quickly by these uh, digital or asset light platforms. And in many cases in that situation, the providers themselves are getting relegated to serve the constituents who are using the platform as a supplier. And so that that's really kind of seeding that patient relationship we talk about. But on the other hand, I think there are still consumer needs that are going to require physical locations to be dealt with, things like complex care or testing or procedures, things like that. And I think it's an open question there about whether healthcare provider systems are going to get relegated to just do that and platforms are going to take over the rest or whether there'll be some sort of bundling of platform activities and services around those provider facilities uh, or in some other way 
um, seeing how these things get structured over time. I think what's really unique here is the ability for platforms to algorithmically match the desires and needs of consumers with the providers of those services. And so I think at the end of the day, the patient preference is likely going to be better met by these platforms than provider systems can, at least without adopting some platform strategy themselves. Can you think of any out-of-industry examples where platforms have sort of disrupted the traditional business model and people now turn to them instead of going to the suppliers of the goods? Um, I think that the restaurant uh, and dining industry are a great example. If you think about it, the, the user experience of going out to eat meant you went to a physical facility and somebody served a product to you in the form of a fancy meal. Um, the restaurateur was who marketed and ultimately acquired you as a customer. Well, that's gotten pretty disrupted these days through entities that now kind of curate your choices and interactions with those restaurants, things like uh, Yelp, for example, that uh, bring together all the various different restaurants that you might want to know about and try out and see what other people think about before you step foot in the restaurant. And I think um, even farther beyond that disruption of the physical plant and the gatekeeper function of the restaurateur, if you will, um, is now looking at delivery, uh, home delivery services like Grubhub or whatnot, where you literally, um, the relationship of the consumer may be with Grubhub, not with the restaurant itself. Randy, how are you finding healthcare platforms are measuring success? And I think that platforms in general take a very user-centric view of how they're creating value. And as a result of that, a lot of the metrics that they're looking at have to do with how users engage with and stick with the platform interaction. So things like month over month growth in user uh, volume. Um, they're also looking at things like you know user uh, acquisition costs, uh, retention, engagement rates, and then uh, monetarily things like lifetime value of that user is important as well. Um, on the flip side, I think there's a, a cost of acquisition that's important to platforms. And I think a lot of the challenge of building a platform business is this issue of how are we going to acquire our users? This, there's a terminology called a chicken and egg problem that's often uh, encountered here where you need both sides of the transaction interaction to be present in order for value to be created. And sometimes you have to subsidize the participation of one side in order to bring more of the other side to the table. But um, how much it costs ultimately to acquire customers is an important metric of platform business success as well. Vince, while many of the newer disruptors like telehealth companies are positioning themselves as platforms, what about the pillars of traditional healthcare, hospitals, or health systems? What are your thoughts on them being able to become platforms by adding these new types of consumer-forward capabilities? Virtual care and telehealth brings in a wide range of new competitors. It's no longer I'm competing against the hospital down the street or the doctor across town. You've got national telehealth companies, health plans are creating virtual primary care offerings. All of these essentially are competing for the digital front door. Certainly the, the payers are, have awoken to the, the opportunities here. Do providers have some competitive advantages that they can lean on? The example of 
you should own the referral process. Another example is, I think, looking at consumer preferences that a lot of patients, a function of your age, prefer to have a telehealth visit with my provider. I want my doctor. And that's going to be the doctor that you know, who you see physically and who you want to see virtually. It's telehealth wars right now. This is going to be the battle to win and retain consumers. And if you already have a relationship with with those consumers, please don't view that as a position that's easily defended. You're, You're now battling against big retail, against big tech, against new market entrants, venture-backed and private equity-backed, et cetera. Everybody's coming at your consumer. And so it's really a call to arms, not to defend the turf you have, but rather to embrace your consumers and service, understand the needs they have, embrace them better and provide the bundling of offerings that they want with the technology-driven, algorithmically tuned ability to get that to them in a more affordable, more convenient, more accessible way than you might think about today. That was healthcare consultant Vince Caritas and Dr. Randy Williams. As health systems face increasing competition from startups, retailers, and insurers offering care directly to consumers, we at GIST have been considering platform strategy from a health system perspective. GIST Healthcare co-founders Chaz Rhodes and Lisa Belomovich join me to talk about that Tuesday. Thanks for listening to GIST Healthcare Daily. I'm Alex Olkin. You can check out more insights on healthcare business and policy news on JustHealthcare.com. Just Healthcare Daily is an independent production of Just Healthcare. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. 